Well, good morning. So if you're just joining us, we have been in a series called Jesus is Greater in the Book of Hebrews. And I don't know about you, but this has been a fantastic series, even for my own spiritual growth. Um, because there's so often times in life, right, that we know that the, the writer is writing to, uh, to, to Jewish converts, you know, those who have who've converted to Christianity, and, and they're experiencing trials and tribulations and rough patches. And, and I don't know about you, but when something rough comes at us, what is the easiest thing to do? Give up. Right? The, when, when something hard's coming at you, the easiest thing to do is, is to give up and, and just to, to go back to, to the way it was because it was simpler, it was easier. Uh, but we know that that doesn't produce fruit and it's not beneficial. And, and, and so we're in this series and we're looking at this writer who, who is being a coach and a cheerleader and, and just this encouragement uh, of, of these Jewish Christians who, who want to just go back to the old way of life because they just want to give up because it's so hard. And this coach is just saying, hey, keep pressing forward. Kind of like one of my favorite movie clips in Facing the Giants. It's not even funny, dude. <laughs> so, coach, how strong is Westview this year? A lot stronger than we are. You already written Friday night down as a loss, Brock? Well, not if I know we could beat them. Come here, Brock. You too, Jeremy. What, am I in trouble now? Not yet. I want to see you do the death crawl again, except I want to see your absolute best. <laughs> <laughs> what, you want me to go to the 30? I think you can go to the 50. The 50? I can go to the 50 if nobody's on my back. I think you can do it with Jeremy on your back. But even if you can, I want you to promise me you're going to do your best. All right. Your best. OK. You gonna give me your best? I'm gonna give you my best. All right, one more thing. I want you to do it blindfolded. Why? Because I want you giving up at a certain point when you can go further. Get down. Jeremy, get on his back. I get a good tight hold, Jeremy. All right, let's go, Brock. Keep your knees off the ground, just your hands and feet. There you go. A little bit left. A little bit left. There you go. Show me good effort. That way, Brock. You keep coming. There you go. It's a good start. A little bit left. A little bit left. There you go, Brock. Good strength. That's it, Brock. That's it. Not the twenty yet. Forget the twenty. You give me your best. You keep going. That's it. No, don't stop, Brock. You got more in you than that. Hey, done. Just rest in a second. You got to keep moving. Let's keep moving. Let's go. Don't quit till you got nothing left. There you go. Keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving it. Your very best. Your very best. Your very best. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. Don't quit on me. Keep going. Keep driving it. Keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. That's it. Your very best. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving it. Don't quit till you got nothing left. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. 
That's it. That's it. Keep going. I want everything you got. Come on, keep going. It hurts. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. He's heavy. I know he's heavy. I'm out of strength. Then you negotiate with your body to find more strength, but don't you give up on me, Brock. You keep going, you hear me? You keep going. You're doing good. You keep going. Do not quit on me. You keep going. It hurts. I know it hurts. You keep going. You keep going. It's all hard from here. 30 more steps. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Keep going. Burn. And let it burn. It's all hard. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Come on. Keep going. You promised me your best. Influential player on this team. If you walk around defeated, so will they. Don't tell me you can't give me more than what I've been seeing. You just carried a 140 pound man across this whole field on your arms. Brock, I need you. God's gifted you with the ability of leadership. Don't waste it. Coach, can I count on you? Yes. Coach? What is it, Jeremy? I want a 160. makes me emotional but these Christians they're in pain in the book of Hebrews they're, they're struggling they're facing these hardships when they first accepted Jesus like everything was great like think about when you first accepted Jesus that excitement that that thrill of oh my gosh like I have this amazing God who loves me and then the, the weight of the world, the weight of life, your, uh, your friends, your family, all these things come down on you, and, and it's not fun anymore. It's hard. It's hard. And the writer of Hebrews is just walking alongside of them saying, keep going, keep going, keep going. 
And he's reminding them uh, of things in their past, saying, look, yes, you know, angels are amazing, right? We learned that in the first week. The angels are amazing. But here's the thing. Christ is better because Christ is the one that oversees the angels, right? And, and then we learn the importance of, of Christ's humanity in chapter 2 and how he came to defeat death and he came to taste death for all of us. And he's reminding them of that. And then we go to Moses, right? And Moses is one of the greatest uh, uh, persons of the Jewish community, of the Jewish faith ever, right? He's the one that freed them out of Egypt and, and led them into the wilderness. And, and ultimately, because of his faithfulness, it led them eventually to the promised land in generations to follow. And then we get to this week. And the writer of Hebrews is going to use a position to show them how Christ is better. And he's going to show them a position of why Christ is better than this specific person. And so today we're going to talk about how Jesus is our high priest and, and he's greater than the high priest of the Old Testament. He's greater than, than the highest religious leader of the Israelites' day. And so if you have your Bibles, open up with me into Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14. And if you have your, your books, you can open up the, your journal that, that are out there. Um, open your Bible, open up the phone app. Um, but in verse 14 of Hebrews 4, it just says this. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that may we receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this, this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him being designated by God, a high priest, after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus, this morning, Lord, as we look at why you are greater, why you are better, why your way of life is the ultimate answer and the final answer in reality, Jesus, I just ask this morning, Father, that you would speak, that our hearts would, would be open 
that we would hear what you have to say, Jesus, and that we would be sanctified and transformed to be more like you, Jesus. So this morning, as we seek the face of Jesus, speak, Lord, speak. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm not sure how many of you guys keep up with Jewish holidays, uh, but this past week was probably one of the most important Jewish holidays of the year in Yom Kippur. It also is translated the Day of Atonement. It is the day that, that in the Old Testament, if we look at Leviticus and we look at the Old Testament, we see that, that this is the day that the high priest, the, the highest religious leader, would go into the holies of holies to, to be atoned for his sins and, and for the sins of, of the Israelites. They, he would go and, and worship Jesus, and it's only this day that the high priest is allowed to go into the holies of holies. So if you know, if you're familiar with uh, the, the kind of like the tabernacle and, and the tent, uh, there is a courtyard and then there is the holy place and then there's the holy of holies, which is separated by a, a veil. And only the highest, the high priest, the great high priest can, can go in there uh, to, to do it. And so, and so this past weekend was that holiday. And, and it's very fitting as we talk about the Jewish holidays as we talk about the religious leaders of their day and as we talk about just that temptation that these Jewish Christians were having saying, well, that, looks, that still looks good. I mean, we weren't being persecuted. We weren't being pressed. We weren't struggling. So why not go back to following uh, our religion? Why don't we go back to following the high priests? Why don't we go back to following this this?" this yearly sacrifice and this daily sacrifice of, of lambs and, and, and giving offerings to the Lord. And, and the writer of Hebrews is like, what are you doing? Like, press forward, keep going. And, and he's reminding them of the most important thing. Because while the Old Testament high high priest and, and the religious law, that law, those rituals pointed to an ultimate high priest that we have in Jesus. And so he's saying, well, let's look at that. Let's talk about that because the person you are looking at and considering going back to, here's the reality. He's a human being just like you. And the reality is, if you look at the beginning of five, it says that the while chosen, he still had to repent of his own sins. And so why are you going back to follow someone who is a sinner just like you? who makes mistakes, who has to atone for his own sins. And so at the beginning of chapter 4, he's saying, therefore, right, since then we have a great high priest. In Hebrews 2, in the beginning of Hebrews 3, he talks about this idea of high priest. And now he's going to break it down. He's going to break it down as to what a high priest is and what a high priest does. In the beginning of chapter four, uh, of verse 14, um, it says, since then, we have a great high priest. Since then, Jesus, who is the one who defeated death, who tasted death on your part. Since then, Jesus, that we find true rest in. Since Jesus is the one sitting at the right hand of the Father, right? Since then, Jesus, who have entered into heaven. Since Jesus is the one who is actually closer to God than the high priest themselves. 
Consider Jesus. Since then, Jesus, right? Jesus is the one who is greater than the angels, right? It's not the angels who are sitting at the right hand of the Father. It isn't Moses that is sitting at the right hand of the Father. It is Jesus. And since Jesus is that person, let us hold firmly to our confession. Hold firmly to what we believe in. Well, what do we believe in? Romans 10, 8, 9 says, But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So he's saying your confession of believing, right? When you went from Judaism to Christianity and you've placed your faith in Jesus and you believe that Jesus is the final atonement for your sins and you believe that Jesus is the one that died on the cross and because of his blood, your, right, your, your sin has been forgiven and you were declared righteous in, in Christ. Because of that, because of what you believe in, hold firm to that. Don't waver from that. These, these, these Jewish Christians, they, they were facing so much hardship, and it was so easy for them just to consider. Like, I, look at my friends. Look at our Jewish friends. They're happy. They're content. They're, they're living life. They're not being pushed against. Like, all these things are happening, but we over here, we're being mocked. We're being laughed at. We're being ridiculed. We are, we are being pressed firmly to the ground. And just like the coach in the video, right? Like, I don't know about you, but I know when I work out, right, when I go to work out, I can't work out by myself. Because when I go to push myself, it's easy for me to just say, oh, I did enough. I'm going to rest. I'm going to take a break, right? After 10 reps, right, I'm just like, I'm going to take a break. But what happens when you're working alongside someone and you're working out with someone? They push you. They encourage you to keep going, to press forward. Right? And so the Hebrew writer is this coach that is encouraging them to not give up, to press forward, to take one more step, one more step, to persevere. Because in the end, right, in the end, they're going to be in the end zone, right? The final destination, the kingdom of heaven, right? If they press forward and they keep going until the day that Christ returns, they will enter into final rest. And that peace that they accepted, the peace that they thought that they were going to fully have when they accepted Jesus, that excitement is going to become a full reality. And so they, that confession, keep pressing forward. Because Jesus has entered heaven, right? When, when the high priest enters the holies of holies in the tabernacle, that is where, where God made his presence. And, and he was going in to relate to God. And, and the reminder, right, enter heaven, that Jesus himself, not only did he tear the veil when he died on the cross, but he entered heaven itself. The, the, the throne room of God, the legit throne room of God, he is sitting next to God himself. And so why would you, why would you satisfy yourselves as someone who, who had a, a glimpse of God, who had a, a relationship with God, but wasn't where Jesus is? And so Jesus entered into heaven, and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And I love what verse 15 says. 15 says this, this high priest of ours understands our weakness for he faced all the same testing we did, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne. Let us come boldly to the throne 
And this morning, that is exactly what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the truth that because Christ experienced humanity, because Christ became human, and first and foremost, he tasted death because his primary purpose was to seek and to save those who are lost. But as a result of him becoming human, the benefits of his humanity means that we have someone that we can follow, an example to look at. While we are not God like Christ was, we can look to him who has, who has suffered the pain of humanity as someone that we can say, okay, let's go boldly to the throne. Because here is the truth, right? Here is the, the reality of why we can come boldly. The first is this is that we can come boldly because Jesus made it possible for us to have a relationship with the Father. Because before, right, in the Old Testament times, there was a courtyard, there was a holy place, there was this veil that kept them from the holies of holies. But here's the truth about Scripture. And this is what I love. Matthew 2751 says, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he fully removed that veil that separated the holy place from the holies of holies, and it gave us allowance and gave us permission to now step into the holies of holies, into a relationship with God. And so we can come boldly because Christ himself defeated the veil. He tore the veil. It split. There is no more veil. We don't have to have someone else go to the throne for us to ask for forgiveness, right? We don't have to go to someone and say, hey, um, can, can you pray to God and ask God to forgive me of my sins? Like, can you atone, can, can you sacrifice for my sins? No, the reality is, is that when Christ died on the cross, he defeated, he tore the veil that kept us from having a full relationship with God himself. And so we can come boldly because God, Jesus Christ himself tore the veil, which allowed us to have a relationship with the Father. That is the great thing about a high priest, right? A high priest is one who goes on behalf of the people. And Jesus Christ himself entered heaven on behalf of us and, and fully allowed relationship with the Father himself. And so we can come boldly because Christ provided a way. We can come boldly because Jesus understands our struggles. He understands what we go through. He understands our pain. Why? Well, Philippians 2, 5 through 7 that we read earlier says this, have this mind among yourself, which is in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Here's the reality about Jesus Christ. Is that, you know, he, he's God, right? We know in Hebrews 1, it says that he is the supreme being. He is supremacy. He is God himself. He created the world. Everything was spoken and existed because of him. But here's the crazy thing about God. Because what we read in Hebrews 2, that, that God himself had to become human in order to redeem those who were under the law, in order to redeem humanity, he had to become human. And while he is God, Jesus Christ himself, God chose to humble himself to become a man. Now, we, we can't mistake in here, when it says that he emptied himself, it doesn't mean that he gave up his, his divinity, Jesus Christ was still 100% God and 100% human. We call this the God-man, right? Like, pretty sweet movie, right? The God-man. 
But Jesus himself is the God-man. He is 100% God and 100% human. The reality that he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant means that he did not, he did not consider his God power, right? He, he, he gave up his privilege. He gave up that relationship. He gave up the, the role, but he didn't stop being God. And because he became human, because he humbled himself, he humbled himself to the point that he wanted to go through what we go through. Right? We ask the question, well, couldn't God have just removed sin? Couldn't God have just removed the punishment? Couldn't God have just removed pain? Yes, but according to Scripture, he couldn't because he had to experience all that we experienced. And so he allowed himself, he humbled himself to the point uh, of becoming a baby, and experiencing all the growing pains, experiencing the learning, experiencing the crying, experiencing stress and, and depression and, and pain and sickness and all of these things growing up so that he can be made perfect to accomplish what he needs to accomplish. And so Jesus Christ in his humanity, he is not a God that's distant from us. He's not a God that just sits and says, man, I wish I really understood what they're going through. He's a God that says, I know. I know what you're going through. I know the pain. And so let me ask you a question. When's the last time that you mourned? When's the last time that you cried? When's the last time you experienced pain so much that you felt as if you were the only one that's going through that. I know for us, one of the last times that I, I, I mourned and I cried was the, the morning that we found out that our daughter was deaf. We were in the room and, and she was doing the ABR sedated test and she has all these wires on her and we're just breaking because all these cords, right? It looks so much worse than it actually is. But then the lady coming up to us, not really sympathetic, not really caring in a sense, but came up to us and said, yeah, your daughter can't hear a thing. And it was that moment that our hearts broke. It was that moment that we began to look back and we began to question, what did we do wrong? What happened? Was it our fault? Right? And we were crying, and, and I called up the lead pastor at the time in Shelby, and I'm just weeping, and, and I'm just mourning. And here's the reality. He doesn't fully understand what I'm going through. He doesn't understand what it means for a child to be deaf. And we always live life desiring for someone to fully understand all that we're going through. But here is the thing. He understands pain. He understands loss. He understands what it's like to mourn, to find out a hard situation. And in that moment, he's able to comfort me from that perspective. And so you might be asking yourself, well, well, Jesus, you know, according to scripture, he was a man and he doesn't understand me as a female and he doesn't understand my pain and, and all these things. But the reality is, is while he doesn't understand some of those things, he does understand pain. He understands loss. 
He understands heartbreak. He understands what it means to, to mourn. I mean, one of the greatest stories we have in Scripture is Jesus' encounter with Mary and Martha right after Lazarus passed away. And he delays his time, and he goes. And Lazarus is at a tomb, and he's having this conversation with Mary and Martha. And what does it say? It says that Jesus wept. Now, we can have this debate on what did, he deb- what did he weep over? Did he weep over their lack of faith? Did he weep over this? And, and I think it's yes. I think it's both, right? Lazarus was one of his best friends. And Lazarus is dead. And Jesus, in that moment, in his humanity and his emotions, shows it and he weeps. Yes, he weeps because Mary and Martha aren't fully comprehending it and and there there is a lack of faith and and all these things. But the reality is in that moment, it says that Jesus wept. He cried. Jesus understands what it means to go through hardship and cry. He knows what it means to to be in pain. He knows what it means to, to... to, to press through things and, and to keep going. I mean, if you look at the, the last part, the middle part of chapter 5, where it talks about while Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleading with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. Jesus himself crying out to God saying, Lord, <laughs> help me. Give me the strength. And he's crying and he's weeping. Why? Because he knows what it's like to have the weight of the world on your shoulders. I mean, literally, in this moment leading up to his death and his death on the cross, Christ is literally becoming sin for us. And the sin of the world, the weight of our sin, past, present, and future, is now on his shoulders. Do you guys ever have a heavy thing on you and you just feel the pressure coming down on you? And that is the reality of what Jesus faced, right? This this verse is coming more so from, from his encounter with God in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he is to be betrayed. And he's literally crying and sweating blood to the point that he is just weeping out. Now, in this moment, he is not praying, Lord, keep me from dying on the cross. What he is praying is, Lord, deliver me from death. Right? He's not, up to this point, Christ told his disciples, he has to die, he has to die. But what he's praying the Father to is, Lord, deliver me from death. Deliver me from the promise that you promised me of death. Right? And we know that God heard his cry and he was resurrected, which delivered him from death. But Christ knew that he had to go through that. But I can't tell you, if I had the weight of your sin on my shoulders, I mean, I have a hard time holding my own sins. Can you imagine what it's like to hold the weight of someone else's sins and someone else's sins and then times that by four or five plus billion plus? Like, I, I don't even know how many people have lived on our world, but combine that by that. That is the weight, the experience, the pain that Jesus is feeling in this moment. But it, it says that he bled. It says that he was in pain. It says that he cried. It says all of these things. And so Jesus Christ himself, he knew all that you go through, and he understands you. There's nothing that we go through that Christ is going, gosh, man, like, I, I, I can't comprehend, I can't understand you. Like, here on this world as human beings, right, when, when something happens to somebody and you've never experienced it, there is a sense of, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. But Jesus himself has gone through all of these his trials and all of these things. And it's because of that that God says that we can come boldly to the throne of grace and mercy. Why? Because we have a God that understands us. 
a God that desires us, a God that, that wants us to come boldly to the throne. And we can come boldly because Jesus remained obedient even when tempted. Right? It says that he understands because he himself was tempted. And, and you might say, well, he is God. How could he be tempted? But the reality is it's in the point he humbled himself to the point that he experienced temptation. Like, I don't have a Jew, but if I was God, there is no way that I'm going to go through that. But here's the thing that we got to clear up. And we got to clear up. Temptation is not sin. Temptation is not sin. Sin is when you give into that temptation and your heart follows that temptation. Right, men, right? The Bible says, do not lust after a woman, right? But here's the thing. God has created us in his image, and and it's okay to think someone's beautiful, but here's the thing. You have to stop there. The second that you go further, that's when it becomes a sin because now you're lusting after someone, right? Or, or, Or maybe... Maybe you know that you need to spend time with, with your family, right? And, and this is practical because uh, I have struggles with this, right? You, you need to spend time with your family, but yet you're still thinking about what is happening on social media. Right? Christ says to focus on your family, right? And so you have now have a temptation of saying, what's happening on social media? And next thing you know, you've wasted 25 minutes on social media and your kid's going over here going, Dad, 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 follow me, look at me, love me. Right? We have these temptations. But, but being tempted is one thing. Giving into that temptation is where that sin occurs. And we have to, to clarify that because we believe, right? It says in Hebrews, it says that Jesus faced temptation yet without sin. And so if temptation is sin, then Jesus is a sinner. And if Jesus is a sinner, then he can't be our savior. But so temptation it is not the sin the sin is when you give in to that temptation and you allow your heart to fall away from Jesus and you replace something with Jesus, right? And so we know that the, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, right? Those things that, that we crave and we allow those things to consume us and, and not consume us by Jesus himself, that is when it becomes a sin. And so Jesus, we can come boldly to the throne because Jesus himself was tempted, right? Let's look at it. Luke 4, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days and at the end of them he was hungry. I don't know about you, but like typically when I, when I think of, of like God himself, I really don't think that he gets hungry. But Jesus in his humanity got hungry. And he got tired and weariness, right? And, and here's the kicker, right? Most of the time when we sin, there's a few things that, that happen to us, right? Sometimes when we sin, it's because we're tired, right? And because of our weariness, we give in to something to try to satisfy us, right? When we're hungry, we give in the cravings that we probably shouldn't be eating or shouldn't be doing. And so these things, Jesus himself was, didn't eat he was in the hot desert. All of these things that are happening, and it was a prime time for the devil himself to tempt Jesus. But Jesus himself, while tempted, we got to understand is that we cannot separate his divinity. But because he was without sin, he couldn't sin. But Jesus didn't come to the world to sin. He came to save sinners. And so to, to rectify this, to, to be considered as the perfect substitute, he was tempted but did not sin. Why? Because he can't. 
He physically, literally can't sin because he is God himself. And so we have to, to, to know that. We have to, to we, can't, we can't separate Jesus and his divinity with his humanity. They have to go together. And it's in his divinity that he can't sin, but it's in his humanity that he was able to be tempted. But here's the kicker, right? Look at the beginning of the verse. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And what's fitting is what happened right before this? Does anybody know? What happened right before this moment? It happened in the Jordan. He was baptized. What happened in his baptisms, right? It was at this point that he came up, and it was at that point that God himself declared and described Jesus' identity as the Son of God, right? This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And so at that moment, God himself is saying, this is Jesus, your Messiah in the flesh. And at that point is when Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted. Because God is like, hey, here's Jesus in the flesh. We're going to put him to the test. And so Jesus himself was tempted. And so we can come boldly because Jesus remained obedient, right? In his temptation, it never says that he sins. It says that he remained obedient. And because of his obedience, he became the perfect savior, the perfect high priest, the only one who can fully rectify our sins. And the only one who can fully attain for our sins was Jesus himself. But here's the beautiful thing about this moment. In this moment, it says that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. Here is the most amazing thing possible, right? This same spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness is the same spirit that we have as believers. We have the same spirit. There is no separate spirit that Jesus Christ had. He had the same spirit. And because he had the same spirit, we can be confident knowing that when we seek the face of Jesus— and desperately depend upon the Holy Spirit, we can walk in freedom, not gratify the desires of the flesh. When we seek Jesus and we walk according to the Spirit, the Bible says that we can overcome our desires. We can overcome the gratification of the flesh. But here is some of the things, right? Galatians 5 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But here's the thing. We are human beings, with a nature that wants to go against God. Regardless if we believe in Jesus or not, there is still our flesh that we are battling. And so here's the thing. There is no one righteous, not even one. And because of that, we fully can't walk by the Spirit constantly. We will slip up. And as a result of that, that is why we need Jesus Christ himself. Because God himself knew that we couldn't be capable of following the law by ourselves. And so he gave us the Spirit. But when we don't walk according to the Spirit, that is when we walk according to the flesh, and that is when we get up in the sin. But here's the most amazing thing that I love about God himself. If we claim to be without sin, right, we deceive ourselves. So one, we are, we are, we, we, we are saints who sin. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The greatest thing about our God is that we can come boldly to the throne of grace when, when we sin, when we slip up. God isn't saying, man, Mike, we're done with you. You fell, you slipped. Uh, no, that is not the way God works. God works is that if we confess our sins, if we humble ourselves before him and we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us every single time that we fall, every time we make a mistake. 
And because of this, because of what Christ has done, we can come boldly to the throne because Jesus removed the stain of sin. Because him as a great high priest, he became the perfect sacrifice, the perfect high priest, the source of our eternal salvation. Because he removed the stain of sin when he died on the cross and he entered into heaven with the Father. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, why are you looking at these fallible human beings for your source of life, your source of eternal salvation? Because here's the reality, right? I'm a pastor, right? I've been called by God. And and to be honest, there are days that I would rather much not be a pastor. Because it's one of the hardest jobs that I've ever done. But because God has called me, I have to be obedient to that. Because Christ, who was called by God, declared by God, he had to obey And in his obedience is when everything happens. But I would much rather work a nine-to-five job. I would much rather be able to go and go home with my family and not worry. But because God has called me to be a pastor, that is my calling. That is what God has called me to do. But here's the thing. I shouldn't be on a pedestal. Pastors should not be on pedestals because we are fallible. We are sinful just like you. We make mistakes. But God in his goodness and his grace loves us enough that he would rather us come to him boldly every single time to confess than to walk away. Paul Tripp says, no one knows you more deeply and fully than your Savior. So no one offers you help formatted for your deepest needs like he does. We can come boldly because Christ himself knows all of our needs. He knows every single one. And because of that, we can come boldly. Right? Ephesians 3.12 says, In him and through faith in him, we approach God with freedom and confidence. Albert Muller says, As Jesus experienced the trials associated with human existence, he learned how to obey his Father in them. Suffering taught Jesus how to submit to his Father's will. The cross means terrible agony of heart and body of Christ, but he remained re- resolute in his willingness to be obedient, even obedient to the point of death. We can come boldly because Christ himself obeyed. And because of that obedience, we have direct access to God the Father himself. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Jesus himself, as he was praying, as he was dying, as he was in relationship to God at the end, it says that he prayed and God heard him because of his deep reverence for God the Father. Jesus himself, while God himself, did not count that worthy enough to revere his Father more. And so he revealed his father more as a result of that. And so do we come boldly to the throne with reverence for our father? Do we come boldly with with holy devotion and a holy surrender? When we come to God, yes, we can go boldly. And yes, God wants us to declare everything that we're going through. And we have a chance to do that. We don't have to hold back. We don't have to have secrets. We don't have to uh, watch what we say to the Father. But in those moments, we still have to revere him as creator of the universe, as holy, as king of kings and lord of lords. But we don't have to, to... with our tail between our legs, go to him. No, we can go to him with confidence. That is the Greek word talking here. There's boldness, confidence, freedom. We have the freedom to come to Christ. And so Jesus, our high priest, is saying, come to me. Come to me because I am the one. In my blood, I make you righteous. And because you are righteous and because you are declared righteous, you can come and approach me with anything that you have going on. And so we can rest knowing that we have a Savior who understands us and desires to walk this hard life with us. In Hebrews 12, 2, our main verse for our series, let's say it together. Looking to Jesus, 
the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Jesus, you are holy. You are righteous. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are our Savior. But God, we are so grateful that in that you humbled yourself to the point that you were tempted. You allowed yourself to be tempted. You allowed yourself to experience pain and sorrow and hardships. Why? So that you can redeem those who are under all of those things. God, thank you that you're our great high priest. You're our advocate who goes before the Father, who has provided a chance for us to have a relationship with the Father. God, may we declare that. May we stand upon that. May we continue to worship you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.